and good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another live edition. Yes, we're here in the land of enchantment. Power issues notwithstanding, welcome to the other side of midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn when tonight, or this morning, we're going to discuss the 2022 election. And before everybody gets their hopes up, no, we do not know what the blank blank is going on. However, we're prepared in the next three hours, give or take, to kind of explain to you why we don't know what's going on and why, in a weird, weird kind of way, that's a good thing. And then in the third hour, uh, we're going to be joined by Georgia Lambert because tonight is going to have a definite metaphysical overtone. So our resident metaphysician who, as you know, spent uh, something like 10 years working with Manley P. Hall, who was kind of the American father of metaphysics and occult science there in Los Angeles in the heyday of when this country was kind of looking in those directions. And for some reason, we kind of turned away. And obviously, people who follow the show regularly, you know that when I talk about hyperdimensional this or that, I'm really talking about the underpinnings of the so-called occult or the paranormal or the off the edge of the envelope, et cetera, et cetera. Because so much is explained by the hyperdimensional model that basically reality is nested in amongst and beneath and beside and above, and all those things are true simultaneously, another set of invisible most of us most of the time other dimensional realities which have both spatial which means geometric as well as reality implications and of course the other implication is where are we really hanging out tonight or this morning or this afternoon as you're listening to the other side of midnight what portion of you is here and what portion of you is somewhere else and did a window portal open up in this reality in this solar system four weeks ago tomorrow night when nasa conducted this extraordinary experiment which we have evidence has been totally misinterpreted by all the mainstream crowd most of those idiot scientists jumping up and down oh we did it oh we did it unknowing of what they really did, what they were really conned into doing, and the upside and downside of um, their results. Anyway, we're going to get to all of that as the morning and evening and afternoon progresses. So before we do any of that, let me tell all the new listeners, and we have new listeners jumping in and out of the wheelbarrow all the time, as one of my radio friends said about listeners. That's really kind of weird, isn't it? Um... You want to go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. Uh, whether you're on a computer, on a phone, on a Dixie cup, the other side of midnight.com. Click on that. That will take you to our URL. And then at the top, there's a beautiful banner which can be prepared. The hyperdimensional astrology behind with items A, B, and C. Click on that. That will take you to the guest page for my guest tonight, which is. Uh, Rick Levine, who was our resident astrologer. Notice how we have resident scholars in many interesting disciplines, 
and some of them are even um, kind of multifaceted and multitasked and generalist, like uh, our, our friend Ron Gerbron. Anyway, that will take you to the guest page. And then under the banner on the guest page, you'll see a, a line item which says, rather grandly, um, fast links to items. Click on my name. That will take you down to my section of Radio with Pictures. Uh, this is really interesting because uh, YouGov uh, is kind of like Gallup. It's one of these professional uh, polling organizations that has a good track record and a reasonably long history, YouGov.com. And they poll constantly on various topics. Well, they did one a few weeks ago on Americans' belief in UFOs and ETs and aliens, etc. And it shows that as opposed to a few years ago, roughly twice as many Americans now believe that there are ETs at the end of the tunnel, that in fact we are not alone. There are other consciousnesses, if I can say that correctly, wandering around in saucer-shaped spaceships, and that the ultimate answer to the UFO question will resolve to they're here. Now, um, the details are in that very interesting report. And the reason why that is appropriate to lead off with tonight is because a few weeks from tonight, roughly two weeks and change, um, just a little bit of change, on November 8th, we have an election. Now, we're going to be talking about the election extensively tonight with uh, Rick, and we're going to try to be figuring out certain trends and background and whatever, and you'll you'll hear how this process is messy because this is a messy election. Um, apropos, um, a writer over at, uh, let's see, what's the, the organization, at the debrief uh, named, um, what is his name? I know it's here somewhere. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Um, it, he basically is talking about the fact that uh, his name is Brian, and I can't find his last name. Why can't I find Brian's last name? Um, anyway, it will come to me. Um, he's written a very interesting column that the um, the uh, Brian Zabel, Bryce, I'm sorry, not Brian, Bryce, Bryce Zabel. He co-hosts a podcast, The Need to Know, with Coulard and Zabel. Um, he's been a CNN correspondent, a PBS investigative reporter, CEO of the TV Academy, and adjunct professor at the U.S. School of Cinematic Arts. He's the author of three award-winning books. You can follow him on Twitter, of course, and his creds are found, of course, on LinkedIn as well. I'm trying to get him for a week from tonight, next Sunday, which is the 30th of October 2022, because this column, which you're going to definitely want to read, um, he basically writes, here comes the October surprise. Uh, and we'll be defining all this next Sunday. What are October surprises? Uh, one of our own uh, uh, faculty, uh, Barbara Honiger, who, as you know, was a high-ranking member in the um, Reagan White House policy uh, uh, person there in the White House. Um, she wrote a book about the October surprise having to do with the uh, 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 flying out of the hostages Literally, as Reagan made the transition from the uh, Jimmy Carter presidency, the Iranian hostages were released, flown out of the country, 
And that was probably the biggest October surprise on record. Anyway, Barbara wrote a book about it. So we're going to talk about October surprises. And I'm going to try to get Bryce on because he is predicting that given that it was written into law, that the first annual congressional report on UAPs, UFOs, ETs, and things that go bump in the night, that's where the all-domain Pentagon office on a, of anomalies you know, comes in, that that is going to uh, drop on us literally on that night or on that day, October 31st. Now, why is that interesting? Actually, he was kind of saying in this piece that it's going to be on the Friday, so it's buried under, you know, the weekend. And I'm thinking, no, they're going to release it literally on Halloween. Why? Well, it turns out to be the 64th anniversary of Orson Welles' infamous War of the Worlds Mercury Theater radio extravaganza in 1938, which set the tone for Halloween and aliens and ETs and invading Martians. So if there is a hidden agenda behind all of this, really, we wonder at this point, I would pick that day, that Monday, the 31st, to release this first annual congressional overview of the state of the art of the U.S. government looking seriously for the first time ever, certainly in my lifetime, uh, into UFOs. And we're going to all find out in the next week whether these uh, bold political predictions are are, are true. But uh, Bryce Zabel has made this very interesting uh, uh, prediction um, in his column, Here Comes the October Surprise. And there's a part of me that really is hoping that it does come true, because if it does, it will completely recontextualize everything we're going to talk about with uh, my guest, Rick Levine, tonight. So what are we going to talk about? Okay, item number three. Um, As I just told you about uh, four weeks ago, God, time flies when you're having fun, Uh, on Monday night, uh, the 26th of September, uh, NASA at 7.14 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time smashed a spacecraft at 4.1 miles per second into a little asteroid, that's what they thought, 600 feet across, orbiting another bigger asteroid, that's what they thought, half a mile across and half a mile away um, on the evening of the 26th. And the effects, which you can see in that constantly looped video in item number three, which takes you to the actual NASA page describing their first order effects of this successful impact. The effects were totally, totally, totally off scale. They did not expect them, which takes us to item number four. This is now an image taken by the color camera on the little CubeSat that the DART spacecraft dumped out the back, uh, kind of like you know, opening the trunk and kicking it out into space about 10 days before the impact of the main spacecraft. So it was following along several hundred miles behind and had a bird's eye view with two cameras, a color camera and a high resolution black and white camera. The color camera was codenamed Luke. 
the black and white cameras code names Leah. Gosh, Luke and Leah. Where have I heard those names? Luke and Leah. Luke and Oh yeah. Is this NASA's Emily Dickinsonian way of saying we really are doing something in the Star Wars realm, but we can't tell you, but we're gonna code name through the Italians the two cameras so that if you are really, really, really sharp and up on your symbology and the fact that we do this all the time, but we don't tell anybody, you'll get it. <clears throat> so that's what they did. And that picture, that incredible image number four, is of a several minutes later after the impact overview as the uh, Leachy Cube, which is the name that they call this thing, um, little spacecraft that could, was zipping on past uh, Didymos and Dimorphos, the two, quote, asteroids, and looking back and taking pictures from the other side. In other words, the side that we didn't see on the approach from the high-res Draco camera. <clears throat> Reptilians, anyone? On the approaching... In other words, look, this stuff is so coded and layered, and there's hidden meanings and occult meanings and double meanings and all that. It's It's not even funny anymore. The really cool part is that we've got the code key so we can decode quite a bit of it. And that takes me to number five. Because I was looking at that image, that amazing image in number four, which is the expansion of the shockwaves and filaments and streamers and dust and debris of what happened when this spacecraft hit Dimorphos 600 feet across at 4.1 miles per second which is equivalent to about 20,000 feet per second, which is far above normal blast waves, um, even in a vacuum from high energy explosives. And I'm looking at this and I'm looking and I'm thinking, wait a minute, Hogan, are you, are you, are you seeing what's not there? Because I looked at the cloud, the expanding debris. And I've been doing this for a long time, you know, looking at extraterrestrial geometry and other planets ancient ruins, ancient structures, ancient urban centers. Remember Carl Sagan's watchword way back when he wrote uh, uh, Cosmic Connection? Um, if I can quote it by heart, the first indication of intelligent life on Earth is the geometric uh, patterns in its design. So even Sagan, looking at early satellite imagery of Earth was looking, like on those Tyros images, he was looking for geometry and he found it. In fact, the only imagery of Earth from those early primitive satellite systems that had cameras, the Tyros weather satellites, was a logging complex in a northern Canadian forest where the loggers had gone in and they had basically created a crisscross geometry of roads to drag out the logs from the middle of the forest. And it had snowed, and on the Tyros imagery, the snow-laden roads in the dark forest stood out as a toe game of uh, crossed lines, crossed roads, showing rectilinear geometry. It was the only thing that he was able to spot out of thousands of pictures taken with that primitive satellite technology way back in the 60s uh, that showed that there was some kind of rectilinear geometric makers 
down here on the planet. Intelligent life on Earth first manifests itself in the geometric regularity of its design. So that's become kind of like uh, the Bible for the study of extraterrestrial archaeology on the part of me and the other members of the Enterprise Mission crew. So, long prologue, I was looking at this incredible, expanding, beautiful, but incredibly sad image of the expanding cloud around the impact on Dimorphos from the DART spacecraft. And I suddenly said, wait a minute, am I seeing three-dimensional rectilinear geometry? And then I picked up the phone and I called Andrew Curry, who was our resident uh, Hollywood artist, storyboard creator, commercial um, uh, galvanizer par excellence. And he saw it completely independently and he did this amazing poster literally during the end of uh, a show last week and gave it to us. That's number five. So look at the black and white below the color uh, NASA slash Italian CubeSat image and you'll see this stunning three geometry in the explosion debris of an incredibly chaotic, whacked out explosion event. Total pure entropy. Entropy meaning the increase in disorder in our three-dimensional universe. So how can you get order the 3D geometry that he and I were seeing? How can you get order out of disorder? I mean, this is not a simple question. And it turns out, if you go back to some of the metaphors that I've been talking about in the last week or two that I've been discussing this, that I believe the impact triggered a hyper-dimensional portal. We might talk about how that actually happens later on in the show. And order overwhelmed disorder in our 3D reality, very similar to the um, mainstream cosmological models for how order and extraordinary far beyond the speed of light expansion of the early Big Bang universe transmitted order from that expanding point, that, that mathematical singularity that became the universe we now inhabit, all in a fraction of a nanosecond. And obviously, if we look at these two ideas and say they're basically the same physics, then what that's saying is that our 3D reality is imp implicate, Im you know, Im impulsed, driven, mandated by a higher dimensional geometry, which, because of this experiment NASA carried out, was briefly in ascendance and in control in the first minutes after the impact of the DART spacecraft onto the little 600-foot-wide object called Dimorphos. And it's visible there in the geometry. Now, there's a couple other examples that we'll talk about later in the show, but what I'd like to do is to get now to my guest of the morning, who is named uh, Rick Levine. Rick is a professional astrologer since 1976. He has become a respected leader in the global astrology community. He is past president of the Washington State Astrology Association, co-founder of StarIQ.com, a founding trustee of Kepler College, and co-author of eight years of Barnes & Noble's annual Your Astrology Guide. 
and there's a whole bunch more about it, but I've known him forever and ever and ever, and he's he's probably the only self-admitted hyperdimensional astrologer on the planet. So without further ado, Rick, come on down. Well, here I am. <laughs> okay. Um, I believe, and we'll talk about this later in the show, that NASA carried out, either wittingly or unwittingly, the first hyperdimensional experiment in this solar system maybe in 66 million years. Now, I could really be off on that. There could have been earlier iterations of later civilizations, like the last high-tech civilization before us, which was about 30,000 years ago, which also did some of this. But when you open up a hyperdimensional portal in the contemporary solar system, and you do it as the numbers that I've been looking at seem to indicate specifically by careful forethought and design, my simple mind says, well, somebody must have had an objective, a goal. And so what I ask you to do is to take the location of Didymos and Dimorphos at the moment of impact relative to Earth charts, put it in the chart and see if there was anything interesting about the configuration. And you and I have not talked, you know, it's one of these, I'm trying to be very, uh, you know, full disclosure. We haven't had time to talk because you're so damn busy. So I guess my first naive question, I should never ask questions I don't know the answer to, is did you find anything? Well, first of all, I, I was able with my technology, which is different than yours, able to create a chart of where everything, where, where all the planets and the moon were from, from Earth's point of view. But with the information that I had, I'm unable to put um, the actual location of Didymos in that chart um, because of my, uh, my limitations and knowledge of how that kind of celestial mechanics works. So I only have part of this equation. It's still an interesting part, but I do not have the actual, what we would call the zodiac uh, longitude um, of, uh, um, of, of the actual impact. I have a chart of the moment of the impact, which is fascinating, though. Okay, why is it fascinating? Um, when, when one looks at a chart, and this, by the way, is... Um, it, you know, is up on the uh, radio pictures down below, um, wherever you just were. Um, if you scroll down <clears throat> to um, Rick's items, and it's actually the one we want to look at is number three, which is Dynamos impact from Earth center. Um, the uh, two was the impact from Washington, D.C., assuming that Washington, D.C. had some um, um, so some uh, part in this whole, you know. Well, that's uh, play. where NASA headquarters is, and NASA headquarters designed the experiment, so that's why it's why. That, that's right, but um, just as from a, but because um, it, it, to me it made more sense to just run from the center of Earth, since it's an Earth-controlled thing, since it's off Earth. Regardless, when you look at the chart. One of the things that um, immediately strikes me as very, very powerful is that this was done at what an astronomer would call the um, at Jupiter's opposition. 
Oh. An astrologer would say that it was Jupiter's opposition to the sun, but astronomers just assume that. When they talk about a planetary opposition, it means that the planet um, is as bright as it can be in the sky, because just like a full moon is, in effect, a lunar opposition to what? To the sun. Right. Uh, that's when the moon is the brightest. So, so astrologically... The sun was at three degrees of Libra and 51 minutes. You could think of this as a clock, 51 minutes out of 60. It's almost like it was um, like a sixth of a degree short of four degrees of Libra. Okay. And Jupiter was at three degrees Aries, 40 minutes, three degrees Aries, 40 minutes opposite the sun within about a 10-minute um, difference, which means that they were exactly opposite within one-sixth of a degree. So it's basically a dead-on alignment. If it, yeah, I, I, I would say that, you know... Well, given I mean, that everything has error bars and nothing is exactly, you know, right on, within, within an orb, within a little window... That's right, it's, Especially in nature. There's no such thing as anything that is exact. Yep, yep. So, so that is correct. So we can say that at the moment of impact, there was a straight line from the sun to Jupiter with Earth on that line. You can think of it energetically as, or hyperdimensionally even. You could think of this as an energetic tug of war with Earth in the center and the sun pulling one way and Jupiter pulling the other. Now, the thing that's extraordinary is that anyone who knows anything about astronomy knows that the sun and Jupiter are the two by far largest um, mass objects in our little celestial neighborhood. And in the physics model, the hyperdimensional physics, mass and spin and orbit and distance from the sun all get together and the bigger, the better, the more powerful. So what you're saying is this impact was, as I suspected, designed to amplify the effect of this other alignment. Now, here's, here's where I, coming from my little parochial, parochial, can I say that? Parochial <laughs> point of view, I, I hear you say that, and I think you posed this question, um, you know, up front. I honestly do not know, and and it, and it's not a conversation that we need to have again because we've had this conversation you and I many times. I don't know whether this was planned or whether these things just happened. Oh, but see, I know it was planned, and I'll tell well, you. Well, I, I know you know, and I don't. Um, well, well, no, but, but do you don't because you haven't heard the numbers yet, or you don't because even if you hear the numbers, you'll wonder if there's some metaphysical plan that supersedes any rational thinking. Well, here's the thing is my, my 50 years as practicing astrologer, I've seen again and again and again and again major occurring in people's lives who knew nothing about the numbers and they happen so exact to the numbers and this doesn't take away the magic of it or the importance of it i'm just going on record saying that the numbers are there and something here is extraordinary i don't know whether it was conscious or just whether this is the way things unfold hmm. regard regardless okay we're jupiter, go ahead regardless jupiter and the sun 
in an absolute you know when when things are in opposition this creates tension it's like it's like away from the center it's like these energies are pulling and this is almost like a maximum torsion field of energy being pulled outward with earth in the center at that moment and there's other things or another thing in particular two other things that we'll get to but that's the first thing i noticed extraordinary wow okay we are literally at the bottom of the hour so let me put rick there and let me do this there. And as I said, we're going to literally be talking about the metaphysics of this when we bring George on in the third hour. But when we come back, I have two interesting questions. I hope they're interesting. One is when, forget Didymos for a minute, forget the experiment, forget NASA and whomping this and releasing something. What is the normal human consciousness effect of Jupiter being in opposition to earth in a chart what overall effect on humanity would that have and then a corollary of that question what would happen if you turn the dial up if you jack up the amplification if you turn up your boombox to you know warp nine what happens if you insert into that configuration a jolt of energy to use a very prosaic term what would you expect? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, October 23rd, 2022. Uh, We're talking with Rick Levine, who is our resident uh, hyperdimensional astrologer. So first question, what's the normal effect on consciousness on Earth of a Jupiter-Earth opposition? 
Um, a couple of things. First of all, that is exactly um, a right question, but I don't want to lose the, the coming back to this because there's a couple of other things that make this beyond extraordinary, even though we're starting off with something very interesting. <clears throat> so Jupiter astrologically is like a magnifying lens. Jupiter is, uh, is related to the concept of anything that gets larger. I mean, it's the largest thing out there aside from the sun. Um, Jupiter is associated with big ideas, big thinking, distant travel, opening up um, um, gates, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> Jupiter, Jupiter, is, Jupiter is expansive, and when Jupiter appears in someone's chart in a place of notability, it represents an opportunity because that's opening a door, whether it's a physical or metaphysical door doesn't matter jupiter makes things look bigger better and more okay so when jupiter is opposite the sun what happens is that when, because we in effect are in the middle of this um it's like we have larger than life ideas that just kind of come into being and we're challenged to find a a balance between things as they are stability potential of anything goes um and when we find that balance theoretically jupiter opposite the sun is like a launch pad it gives us the ability to reach our goals but the danger is that we can take on too much say yes to too much or simply expand or 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 open up something larger than we thought hmm. okay so if i add uh, an X amount of energy or oomph or impetus, whatever, to that physics, that consciousness alignment, what happens? Okay, so here I need to interject an idea that I've been working with several years. I think you and I talked about this a couple of years back, and that is historically astrology was always about what happened when we observed the planets and 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 there was kind of like a consistency and i believe that starting in the 20th century and now still heading towards some sort of crescendo things have changed because we have technology that has created a way to amplify these astrological events I call them cosmic feedback loops. Mm -hmm. um, that's just my little name for them. But it's like it's like using um, extra amplifiers, like the Grateful Dead did, um, and creating um, auditory feedback. But when we start using technology, um, video cameras and recording devices, we have this ability to take these extraordinary moments and magnify their energy. And, and it's something that we can talk about sometime again in the future because I think it's hugely shifted what astrology is because we've stepped into the realm of messing or altering those natural energies. Um, and, and I think, again, this may be a case of that. Well, this is hyperdimensional torsion field technology. Remember, science progresses. You try to figure out what the universe is trying to say. Then you try to harness it for human benefit, right? Or if you're a warmonger, you try to harness it to kill as many people as possible. <clears throat> that was not said tongue-in-cheek. So if whoever was designing this experiment 
and I'm going to prove to you in a second that it was a designed experiment, their intention was to magnify the background effect of a Jupiter-Earth opposition. And that effect will last at least another, you know, two weeks through the election, given how slow Jupiter moves compared to Earth. So that opposition is not going to move very much in the next couple of weeks, right? Yes, and it will come back into exactness because when a planet is in opposition, it appears to be retrograding, which Jupiter is now, which means early next year, Jupiter in its direct motion will move, this, move through this exact same point in, in the uh, cosmos. So wait, if I get the, 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 the geometry correct, because we're coming on Jupiter, we're closer in planet, Kepler's law, we move faster, we're kind of overtaking Jupiter in the outside lane, right? Correct. Which means it's apparently in the sky moving backward relative to the star. From, from Aries to Pisces. In fact, it'll move, it, it'll move backward into Pisces, the, the, the 12th sign, its previous sign, um, next week. And then it will move back into Aries by the end of the year. It'll just tip back into where, Pisces. Where, what will it be doing and where will it be on the 8th of November? Um, well, it's it's still in it's still in Aries on the eighth of November. Yeah, but how is it moving? Is it prograde or retrograde? Um, oh, it's retrograde, See? and it's actually it's, just it's hold on, it's retrograde, and it's actually already tipped back into Pisces, the previous sign on election day. Okay, so but there's more. Well, when we get to that chart, we'll realize that that Jupiter isn't the only planet that's retrograde. Mars is also, and that's a huge thing, but we'll get there when we talk about Election Day. Yeah. I'm... But, but Go Richard, ahead. can we just, can we stick with this just for a moment? Because there's another thing that makes this, that, that this whole Jupiter-Sun thing is amazingly important. However, it's how that fits in to the larger pattern of what has dominated 2020 one and 2022 which is a slower moving um holding aspect between saturn and uranus now saturn is a 30-year cycle and uranus is an 84-year cycle roughly right and they they lock into a 90 degree angle which astrologically and in physics is the angle of maximum conflict or or deconstruction or well, interaction? It's, it's when the you know what hits the rotating kitchen appliance. <laughs> exactly. So, and in, 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 in astrology and in physics is all I'm saying is both, yep, of yep. course. So, so. Um, so you're saying and, the overall configuration for doing something that amps up the juice in the system is to amplify the effect of what's already there, but make it much much bigger and more meaningful and more direct? Well, I would say bigger. I don't know if it's more meaningful unless we can figure out the meaning, <laughs> but which, we're, which is what we're doing well, right let, now, let, 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 See, I'm, 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 I'm dipping in, into two lanes here. If, if we say that the people behind NASA who did this, who got NASA as their pawns, their cat's paws, to carry out what they thought was a diddly, little knocking asteroids aside experiment, which actually was really a cover for the big HD experiment that they don't want to talk about. 
they got it exactly timed right to amplify an existing pattern because this coming election, and I'm hearing my voice coming back, weird echo. This coming election. It's not echoing here, just for the record. Okay. This coming election is going to determine potentially life on Earth for the next 10,000 years if Putin goes nuclear. So it's not trivial. All kinds of things are riding on this election. If you're trying to, to amplify that historical, extraordinary impact, this would be, at the ultimate HD level, what you would do if you had the technology to do it. And when I explain how they did it with dumb 20th century technology, it's really kind of elegant. So let me go back to the question you posed earlier. Was it done or is it just just happen according to a pattern that we're kind of retroactively trying to analyze? And I'm going to argue forcefully, no, this was done with very conscious effort to make it happen on that date, on that night, with this configuration to achieve these effects. And how's, here's how I know. That night on Monday the 26th at 7.14 p.m., when DART arrived at Didymos and smacked into it, imparting its energies, it was, in the Earth reference frame, 33 degrees below the celestial equator and change. 33 degrees. Now, 33, of course, is a Masonic number. It's also a hyperdimensional number. It's part of the hyperdimensional geometry and physics equations. 33 is not trivial, okay? Mm -hmm. When they carried out the experiment, they were looking for, at best, uh, I'm sorry, the low end was a 72-second change in the 11-hour, 55-minute orbiting period of Dimorphos around Didymos, and a max of like 10 minutes. Well, they got, within the error bars, 33 minutes. Oh, now this is interesting. 33 degrees south celestial latitude, 33-minute difference. Do you begin to see a trend curve here? Because these people, if nothing, can't go to the men's room without conducting a ritual. It may not be that it's physically meaningful in the sense that we just discussed the alignments, but the fact that they wanted to carry it out on these times, these ritual numbers, and achieve the ritual effect, that tells me it was designed. Oh, there's one other. Uh, Didymos was seven tetrahedral spin degrees above the southern horizon. I'm sorry, the eastern horizon in Washington, D.C., where, of course, the maximum effect of all this is, is focused both on NASA and on the U.S. government and our role in global history. So I have no doubt, having found these numbers without really expecting anything, that this was a designed experiment which came in several parts, a cover story for the public, a real intent by those who got it done behind the scenes. And the reason they wanted to have it done, I think, was to magnify the current hyperdimensional astrology of the entire solar system, bracketing this incredibly crucial election. Okay. You're not arguing. <laughs> no, no. It's, 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 it's your show. I'm not sure that you've convinced me, but I, I, again, I, I think that everything that you said 
can be 100% valid, and it still doesn't necessarily show that they were doing that on purpose, there were, but there is a correspondence one way or another. And again, I, I'm saying it, does, it, it, it doesn't matter, and you're saying it does, and I'm saying, okay, it's all right with me. I, I'm, it's not my place to, you know, well, uh, you're the expert with that, not me, so I'm okay with it. Well, let me tell you why, A, I think it matters, and B, why it really was, was, it was a plan. Because remember, uh, Bruce DePalm and I were friends. Bruce conducted a whole bunch of these mechanical hyperdimensional experiments uh, back in the 70s and kept records, wrote papers and all that. His counterpart mm-hmm. in the Soviet Union, who he never met, I don't think even knew existed, Nikolai Kozarev, did some of the same stuff. And a major way that you can trigger a, a portal, a conduit, a gate between dimensions mm-hmm. from higher dimensions into ours is by changing angular momentum or inducing, in a, in a, in a word that you may be more familiar with, forced procession. Remember, if mm-hmm. I have an object orbiting another object, you know, it's a two-body system, there is angular momentum in that system. The spin, right. the spin of the objects and then their orbital motion around each other. If I change that by hitting one of them so that it tilts the orbit angle to the spin of the other object, I will open a gate, according to De Palma's experiments, into this other dimension, and I will produce extraordinary anomalous energy effects in our dimension. And when we look at the imagery from, you know, the DART system, from the uh, Italian CubeSat, extraordinary weird things happened after this impact. Like, look at number six and number seven in my images tonight, okay? You're there in the computer. You can look at them, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, click on them. That will make them big. And then look at uh, Dimorphos, which is the object that was hit that has that trailing cloud of debris around it. Yep. Do you see the geometry? I'm not, I'm not doubting any of this. I, of course I do. Okay, that should not be there. That does hmm. not happen under normal explosions ever, 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 ever. That's a hyperdimensional signature like fr- fingerprints or spectral lines or DNA. It is a hallmark so, so, of hyperdimensional physics. Richard, let me let me add another dimension to this moment that 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 we haven't touched, other than we said that it's part of a greater resonance because that thing that was that moved in and out of of exactness three times, beginning at the beginning of 2021 and culminating on Christmas Eve Eve, the very end of 2021, and then kind of began to open up and widen its orb, meaning it became less powerful. And between now or between the last month and election day, this comes back within a half a degree of orb of being exact. And when I'm talking about this aspect, by dates corresponds to the major political shifts having to do with an armed, you know, um, invasion, insurrection, whatever you want to call it, um, of the Capitol and Trump's uh, second impeachment and Roe versus Wade's over. I mean, all these events of the year mm-hmm. tie into this square between Saturn, the planet of old, of the status quo, of conservative, of, 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 
of of holding things um, the way they are. Boundaries. And Uranus. And Uranus. Exactly. And Uranus, the planet of light. Uranus is called the quantum planet because it's like lightning striking and anything can happen. Change. Uranus is the planet of unexpected and breakthrough, and Uranus breaks through the 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 boundaries of Saturn. Change. And this Change. square. Hang on. Hang on one second. This square that has been in and out for all of last year, this Jupiter-Sun opposition tug-of-war is exactly halfway. Jupiter's 45 degrees from Saturn on one side and 45 degrees from Uranus on the other. The Sun is 135, that's a square and a half, to Saturn on one side and 135 degrees, a square and a half to Uranus on the other. It, it, what it does is it takes this entire pattern and it creates this, this other whole layer of built-up stress and tension that is right now in the process of, in this last month, going back to the end of September and through the first week, the eclipse of the first week of November being released. I think we're saying the same thing. If yeah, you, we're it, just it, attributing different causes to it, it, but I think you're right. We are saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but given that you live in a universe where we do things all the time to have an effect, why are you hesitating that this was done for specific effect? What's the holdup? <laughs> That's what I don't understand. Um, um, I guess because I don't, th- I don't think that people running the show are that smart. It depends at what level. Not the ones yeah. you see, not the ones you, you think you elect, not the ones on television, but those manipulating the string. This could even be ET mandated by our brothers and sisters upstairs, who, yeah. of course, yeah. are using hyperdimensional physics every single day because that's how they are able to appear, walk through solid walls, develop spacecraft that move at 30,000 Gs, all that stuff that we're kind of beginning to make real with this first annual congressional report. That's- okay, so Richard, Richard, one last thing on this before we before we let this part of it go, and that is that Saturn, which is one part of this Saturn Uranus square, if we connect Saturn, Mars, and the Moon at the moment of the impact, they were making an equilateral triangle from Earth's point of view in the sky, which, as we know, is the most stable form of energetic, you know, um, construction. Is that you know 120 degree you know, um, you know, three points on an equilateral triangle. And that was a, 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 in effect at the same moment. Okay, look at my number eight, number nine images. This object, after it was hit, it, mm-hmm. you know, the Didymos and Dimorphos orbited half a mile from each other, okay? Right. Like one diameter uh, away from the surface of Didymos, there is Dimorphos, or it was. Right. Orbiting it almost in 12 hours. Uh, you know, 11 hours and 55 minutes, that's very significant because I think it used to be 12 hours. That's a whole other conversation because it was a time capsule way back when, left for us, and they went and blew it up. So over the succeeding days, a cloud of material, incredible fine dust-like material, expanded around the Didymo system, ultimately forming an extraordinary parallel beam in space of tiny particulates and an overall cloud shaped like a giant 2,000 mile on a side tetrahedron. 
Right, which is a three-dimensional version of a grand trine, that equilateral triangle. Exactly, and it's what evolves from a cube, which is two interlocked tetrahedrons spinning in synchronization as part of the physics model. So I'm saying this was done to absolutely have an impact on the physics, on the consciousness, on the astrology of this coming election, and that is a perfect segue. What the hell is going to happen before this experiment in the election, and can we see anything about the configuration which is now changed or amplified what could happen? Um, I, th- I think the answer to the question is yes, but I'm not sure exactly what the question was. Okay. This election, we both agree, is going to be, if not the most important in our lifetime, maybe the most important in the history of the country, if not the most important in the recent history of the planet, given all the permutations that will come afterwards, depending upon how people exercise their choice. Whether Agreed. They, whether they make a short-term choice, inflation, gas prices, fear, crime, whatever, or a long-term choice. Do you want to live in a democracy or do you want to sign your birthright away on the 8th of November? It's that simple. So Yes, I, I agree. So it's that choice that I think the hyperdimensional experiment was designed to influence. So how does the general astrological configuration, which is in chart number one, imply the selection of that choice. Right. So, um, the if someone were just to ask an astrologer, what's the most extraordinary chart moment or day, you know, in 2021, 22, 23, it would be pretty hard to come up with anything that topped November 8th, 2022, whether it was election day or not. That day is, uh, I mean, I first saw this chart about maybe, I mean, I first really looked at it um, maybe a little bit less than a year ago, probably about a year ago when I started looking at the year ahead. And I looked at this chart and and, and, and all I could go, I mean, for days, I just <laughs> walked around going, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Um, because I'd never seen a chart quite like this. And you see, the thing is that this goes back to the struggle, the conflict. Remember, 90-degree angles are conflicts yep. uh, in astrology. And the ongoing conflict through 2021 was a conflict between Saturn holding on to the past, make America great again, if you will. Um, it's the status quo. It's the establishment versus Uranus, the progressive, the breakthrough. Um, and obviously, we cannot exist without both planets. I mean, I, mean, I want to be real clear about this. This isn't me just saying we need to forget about Saturn and just blast into the future. That'll be just as dangerous as forgetting about moving into the future and returning to the past. We have to find balance. However, the ongoing dance between the old and the new, the fear and the acceptance, the, um, the, uh, all of the various issues can be broken down to the Saturn square Uranus that most people, most astrologers, said it was done in, in, in December of 2021 without realizing that because the computer doesn't show it exact in 2022, that they didn't realize that the end of, that, that through October and November, because of the retrograde motions, Saturn and Uranus would come back 
into that square within about a half a degree, which, like you said earlier, in nature, you could almost say it was exact. You know, it's one six hundred, uh, three hundred. It's one seven hundred and twentieth. You know, of uh, you know percent of our, um, you know margin of error. Um, and so, and so this this coming back into square now. Uh, well, beginning again back in September, but now through November, what happens is on election day. There is a full moon um, lunar eclipse, and it actually occurs at about it's about 6:02 a.m. in Washington D.C. Eastern Time, and and um, and this full moon uh, lunar eclipse occurs with the moon at 16 degrees of Taurus, and guess what's at 16 degrees of Taurus? Uranus. Oh. The moon is conjoined with Uranus. The, the the eclipsed moon is conjunct Uranus and square Saturn, and the sun on the day of the eclipse is lined up with Mercury. So we have four planets and the Earth in line in that tug of war. Yeah, but it's also now lined it's up not, with the Earth because it's Sun, Earth, Moon, Uranus. It's uh, no, you're missing Mer- Mercury. It's actually. It's actually in order. It's Uranus, Mercury, Sun, Earth, Moon. That's the order. But they're in a straight line yeah, that's what with I'm talking Saturn about. 90 degrees to it. Oh, my gosh. We're basically at the top of the hour. Let me Got leave it. everybody okay. with this thought, okay? <clears throat> in the physics, in both the Palmas experiments, Kozarev's experiments, and in the observations of the um, um, Cycles Foundation going back to the 1940s when uh, FDR kind of commissioned an economist at the uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce to try to figure out what was going on with the American economy, and he realized there were cycles mandated by cosmic alignments, we find that the effects on Earth are time-delayed, that they... When you have an event, like, like let's say the, the hyperdimensional event of the impact, that effect doesn't just stop within minutes or hours of the event. It has a building crescendo, which takes place over time. It's like the lag of seasons and climate. You're yeah, exactly yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this physics alignment, this hyperdimensional geometry, is meant to play out or was meant to play out by whoever figured this all out, the invisible uh, controllers, to have an effect across the election and then through the end of the year, building, expanding, changing. So this is not over and done with. We're in the middle of it. And in terms of the amplifier, it began on the evening of the 26th. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
the other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, October 23rd, two weeks from potentially the most important election in the history of the United States, if not perhaps the history of the world. It's not me saying that or other political pundits or whatever. It is the hyperdimensional geometry, astrology, and physics, as we're going to spend tonight discussing in some detail, which all has come to a sharp focus at this point in history, and it ultimately, as we'll be talking about at great length when Georgia joins the conversation, it's all about amplifying choice. It's all about conscious choice. And I would amend that and say that this coming election is really about two ways of thinking about the future. One is very short term, and the other is forever. The choice on the edge of forever. Because the choice that voters make in the next two weeks will determine not only the next two years and four years and whatever. Given certain scenarios, it could determine the future of human life on Earth for at least the next 10,000 years. And Rick, I'm basing that on the radioactive half-lives if this insane idiot named Putin actually does the unthinkable and cannot be talked off the ceiling by calm, rational people with extraordinary international experience who've been part of creating this stable world order post-World War II for the last 77 years. That's part of what's literally in front of us now. And I'm telling you, whoever designed this nasty experiment even if they were only the pawns just to carry out the deed, whoever was the architect was trying to do something with that choice. And our task is to try to figure out what. Mm-hmm. So continue. Well, we were talking about the chart of election day in the United States and just just a lunar eclipse you know, eclipses, you know, the ancients, you know, said that eclipses were a change of power. They, they, they were considered to be ominous, partly because so many people didn't know what they were or how to predict them, even though it was certainly, you know, understood by, 
you know, by by the uh, um, intelligent people of of the day going back two thousand years ago. Um, but um, you know, there's a saying that happened that that is associated with clips uh, with eclipses, and it's the king must die, long live the king. <laughs> okay. You know, and, and in a way, it's it's um, eclipses often are like um, they're, they're they're like polarizing events. I mean, imagine a room that is a hundred percent dark. And over the course of two weeks, the light gets brighter. And then over the course of two weeks, the light gets dimmer. And this happens regularly. This is the cycle of the moon. And then imagine one time when the moon is as bright as it gets, it's like someone immediately just turns it off and then turns it back on. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's like it eclipses to me induce what might be a cultural almost like an, like an epileptic seizure. I'm not saying it's a seizure, but it's that kind of sudden, something happens electrically that sets us into some sort of warped environment where things happen that might not otherwise happen. Well, you know, based on the experiments that Robin and I did, running around the world, going on mountaintops during eclipses, etc., that I was able to measure that eclipses, the alignments, have absolutely demonstrable hyperdimensional effects. Yeah, no you, question about you, it. You can measure I mean, without so, measuring it, I would I would say of course. I like measurements. I'm I'm kind of old and that's what that you way. do. But the point here is that just an eclipse on an election day itself, and this is the only time I've ever seen an eclipse on an election day, that in itself is crazy making. And then you add the fact that Mercury, the trickster Mercury, the planet of communication. You know, we've had Mercury retro. We've had we've had elections when Mercury turned retrograde on the day of the election, mm. like the Al Gore Bush election of 2000. That was a Mercury retrograde. Oh, I didn't today. know that. Oh, that. Did. Oh, yeah. Because remember, retrograde motion in this physics model stirs the cream backward. It amplifies the effect of the physics. Exactly. Exactly. And of course. Retrogrades always mean that the planet is closer to Earth than it is at other times. So you get not only what you're talking about, that stirring the pot backward, and I totally agree with that. I actually um, have a poem that um, I will remember to send you that you'll appreciate that's about that same image of retrogrades. But what's also happening is that because uh, for a planet to be retrograde, it has to be closer to Earth than it is at any other time in its cycle. And that means that the signal, like a radio station, is louder. And that loudness actually is enough to be, you know, it's like when you give a hyperactive child, um, you know, um, a drug to shut down the hyperactivity, the drugs that they use are amphetamine-like, which actually just speed it up to a point where it shuts down and that's what often happens during retrograde energies. It's the energy is just so much that it has to shut down. It's like an overload. Exactly. Exactly. It's like an overloaded circuit. And so Mer- Mercury here, though, is not retrograde. It's actually um, lined up with the sun, but on the far side of the sun rather than between the Earth and the sun. And but But during the eclipse... It's on that tug of war straight line. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's actually within 
again, it's within with, within a sixth of a degree of the opposition between the sun and the moon with Uranus within a degree. Who was that consultant, and, that campaign guy that worked with Clinton, who coined the phrase, it's the economy stupid? Oh, he, the, he's from Louisiana. Good old yeah, boy from Louisiana. I can see him. I can see his baseball cap. I just, uh, Jim, Jim, oh, oh, uh, someone will tell us. Anyway, it's not the economy ultimately, it's the geometry, stupid. It's I, all I, about I, the geometry. I would agree. And so because this is all square Saturn, there's like, this is like a maximum inflection point. And, 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 and somebody, won't... to interrupt, inserted this damn hyperdimensional NASA experiment to boost the energies off scale to do something with it. Well, and hopefully what they're to do with it is anything because the more people who go out and vote, the more likely we will have voted for the long-term rather than the short-term fear. So if we're looking at, I hate this term, they're talking about voter intensity, you know, just it's whether you give a damn or don't whether you think your 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 choice will have an effect or it won't most people feel so disempowered i'm thinking given that the physics is kind of neutral that what it's trying to do is to amplify an environment where people give a damn and there's more of us that give a damn that are going to vote the right way than those that are cockamamie crazy that are going to vote the wrong way because they have very short-term interests and they've been led by the nose into thinking only short-term. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I appreciate your short-term versus long-term, but I also think the other, the other axis of, of dichotomy or of bifurcation here is uh, fear versus um, adaptability. Mm, okay, okay. And when, because, and, and, because largely, largely the Saturnian energy here is fear-based. It's fear of new. It's fear of change. It's fear of of not being able to go back, you know, to some past. I mean, Freud called this infantile regression, <laughs> but it's the idea that under pressure we want to go back to the way things well, were the things because that we, we remember know, them as being more perfect you know, the than th- they actually the were. Thing, the things that we know are obviously more comfortable than the things we don't know. And some people just have this extraordinarily visceral underlying fear of change, any change. And Uranus is the planet of change. But I was just going to add to that, in this hyperdimensional graph, you know, if you take a snapshot of where everything is, it's also retrograding. It's moving geometrically backward relative to Earth. So it's change amplified because of the stirring the cream backward model. Right. Well, that's the Jupiter part that's retrograde. Saturn, there are other, Mercury is direct. I mean, there are other planets that are direct. Mars is retrograde, and that Mars retrograde is very, very powerful. And it's a, there's a longer story here about Mars and its connection during this retrograde to Neptune, which is about confusion and not understanding what's going on. And I think that'll be another layer of this election. I don't care whether it's an ambiguous election, whether it's a, you know, blue wave or blue tidal wave or red wave or red tidal wave. 
I think that whatever happens in this le- um, election, there'll still be a what the hell just happened and who's really in charge. Well, that's partly being manufactured. You know, oh, yeah. It, it, uh, maybe all. Well, I mean, there's a, a normal uncertainty because, you know, you, even in elections, you don't know what the guys you're electing are going to actually do. You know, sometimes they carry through what they said and sometimes they don't. So yeah. you're, you're basically betting more that they will than they won't. But the point is, with this election, there's a deliberate disinformation level where, I mean, Carrie Lake, who's running for governor in Arizona, has said flatly that she's going to contest it regardless because that's her that's her mantra, stirring confusion and seeding uncertainty and fear, even if there's no reason for her to do so. Right. Well, 40 percent of the Republicans who are running for office believe that the 2020 election was um, was 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 not as it was. See, I don't understand that at, at a kind of an intellectual level or even an emotional level, because we, 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 we live in a in a political system where we have three co-equal branches. The judiciary is supposed to be the ultimate referee, the ultimate judge of laws and to equipartition justice and truth. Right. And during the aftermath of the contested 2020 election in Trump's mind and those of his minions, there was this extraordinary, you know, propaganda spread that the election was stolen. That President Biden was not the real president. That Trump really was elected. Well, how does one arbitrate that in the American system? In the judiciary. One goes to the judiciary. One goes to court. And what's stunning is that there were 60 tetrahedral, note the number, 60 independent judges and courts that all ruled unanimously against the lie that Biden stole the election. And And most of them were Republican and about 10 of them were Trump appointees. Across the board, left, right, middle, they all came down. There there is – and again, we're we're going down a rabbit hole that, in, in for some people, I think is quite divisive. The fact of the matter is, I don't know how you can. I mean, people say, or I've run into people, and I've certainly heard politicians say, the January sixth investigation is just political. But they won't watch any of it. <laughs> they haven't watched any of it because they know there's nothing there. So how do they judge? But yet they're saying it is yet they've not seen any of it. Well, let me go back to my central point, which is we have people okay. who, who are basically standing with the Constitution. There is a contingent that said that all those people that attacked the Capitol and tried to forestall that proceeding on January 6th were the real patriots, the real defenders of the Constitution. Well, the Constitution lays out the three branches and says legally under the Constitution that that third branch, the judicial branch, arbitrates disputes that arbitration took place 60 times and it came out always that biden was duly elected there was no meaningful fraud because at the noise level there's always something you can point to but it's is it meaningful does it make it make a difference and it's overwhelmingly by the numbers it didn't make a difference and all the background of all these judges including a number of trump appointed judges all said no. 
And yet these people who claim to be standing on the Constitution then say, oh, all those 60 courts and judges were somehow bought. They were somehow suborned. They're somehow crooked. They're somehow corrupt. They're somehow on the evil side as opposed to the good side. And that's where they lead me because it's like there's this disconnect. If you don't believe in an independent judiciary, when a judge appointed by Trump says, no, Mr. President, you are wrong, then where are you? Yeah, I agree. And on that note, um, we've got about 15 minutes till the bottom of the hour. So if, even if there wasn't an election, this configuration says pay attention on November 8th. But there is an election. And so yeah. how is the election going to come out? Does it really come out to the intensity of people and their choices, fear versus welcoming of change? Yeah. Oh, that's Don't pretty. you think? Um, see, I put it in the long-term, short-term, because in the short-term, you can be apprehensive, but your long-term interests can supersede your short-term apprehensions. Right, which which ameliorates your fear. I, I mean, I totally, I don't think, I don't think the two causes no, not, are no. are opposed. I think they feed into one another, and I like the way you 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 conceived it. I haven't thought of it that way, but I think that that's a, uh, I think that's a good way of thinking of it. See, one of the things that I've been struck by is that when you look at polls over the last four or five years since the Trump phenomenon emerged, you know, a, a lot of mainstream pundits seem to get it right. They say even if you take Trump out of the equation, the fact that 40 percent of Americans seem to have very radically different ideas of the American experience than the 60 percent who are looking at it from the other side. The problem is apathy. The problem is how do you motivate the 60 percent who think more long term, who are actually more faithful to the belief in the Constitution and the uniqueness of this extraordinary American experiment, which is still in the process of becoming, it's not there yeah. yet. It's still yeah. we're it's, it, we're still have, you know we all can have an effect on how the outcome turns out. Those sixty percent, if they don't turn out, if their intensity is somehow muted, so the fearful forty percent outweigh the more long-range perspective of the 60%, then we're in deep doo-doo. Right, and the, and, and the way in which the 40% convinced the 60% not to bother voting is by saying, well, if you vote, it won't matter. Nothing's going to change. It's going to be this way anyhow. You know, even if you win, you'll lose, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, it, it, there's a sense of, um, of, of, of uh, fear about you know about why should i bother to vote if my vote isn't going to count if they're going to disqualify my vote because of some stupid reason it has nothing to do with anything other than i voted for the wrong person and the answer to that question is numbers which gets back to intensity because even if someone's trying to rig an election they can only rig it in the middle at the margins if it's really close If one side or the other side turns out in very large numbers, look at Georgia in 2020, look at how we got Warnock and the other senator 
when you know no one expected that red georgia was going to elect two democratic senators um Mm -hmm. it was all because of intensity enthusiasm uh, uh embracing the future and feeling that their vote counted that overwhelming numbers of citizens turned out to make choices in georgia and they won yeah so we already have a a track record we already have proof that if if you if you really believe in the system and turn out to make it work it's a self-fulfilling prophecy the damn thing works right but as you said it's all in numbers and it ultimately is in consciousness and that goes back to was the objective of the dart experiment a hyperdimensional mixing our metaphors madly injection <laughs> in the arm to energize to excite to turn out more people to participate in this fragile experiment. Yeah. Because the numbers, the alignments say that if you inject more energy into the system, that's what could occur. Right? Yep. Yep. See, Jupiter, I'm I'm going back to who was that guy that wrote in the 1917 or 1918, uh, the, the Hulse, the planets, Jupiter, has the most amazing score. It does. It really, in fact, I should probably play that at the next break, all right? So, um, anything we want to want, in other words, uh, the fact that we have this eclipse and this alignment only adds to the uh, rather remarkable, um, you know, physics that I think it ultimately comes down to choice. Are we going to make a positive choice or a fearful choice? To use your term. I, I, I agree. I agree. Fascinating. Okay. Astrology is not an exact science. What are our error bars on, on the night of the, uh, the eight? How- well, astrology, astrology is, as exact, is as exact as the universe is. The universe is not an exact science either. You said earlier there are no natural rhythms that are exact. I mean, I, that's, that's true. No, it's certainly not true. I mean, it certainly is true. So, you know, I, I think the most important thing to understand about the upcoming election is that anything is possible, which actually should inspire us to make the moment count. I would think so. I mean, because Uranus is because because the moon is not only lined up with Uranus, you know, the the um, quantum, you know, uh, um, genius planet, um, but it's also lined up with Mercury, the trickster. And the fact is that there's a sense that that anything can happen, that anyone who makes a prediction is going to be wrong. How, How is that possible? Obviously, you know, everyone can't be wrong, but it's like this this election is going to have surprise and shock in it no matter what happens and so it's like we are being given we are being offered a ticket to play a part in the concert that we're attending that we get to um we get to alter the event by 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 showing up well that's the greatest that's the greatest fear of the republicans is that uh, that a lot of people will turn up and part of their tactics are to make it seem like they shouldn't bother to vote. 
Well, remember, early voting started in, I forget how many states, uh, a few days ago. Yes, already. Yep. And in Georgia, there are overwhelming record numbers of people turning out for early voting. Yep. I somehow don't think those are fearful people. I, 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 I hope you're right. And, yeah, I mean, obviously my political bias – and yours shows through here. I'm sure there are listeners, you know, who, who, who are different. And quite frankly, I'm okay with people who have a different political bias, as long as that political bias isn't blindly following some, you know, known criminal liar, cheater. That is, that's not politics. That then becomes fear and cult. You know, it's funny you should mention that individual because, you know, there's been this whole Mariago thing, which, uh, which uh, you know, I'm just fascinated that Trump squirreled away top, top secret documents, which maybe in those files, there really is the real truth about UFOs and interaction between the U.S. government and ETs and all of that. And I'm hoping against hope that that's really one of his Trump cards, pun intended, and you know that after the committee subpoenaed him to appear at a hearing on the 14th of November, which is in this window, uh-huh. as my grandmother would say, and I'm hearing an echo of me again in the background, um, he didn't say no. Yeah. Because I think he's going to appear. I th- so, so, Richard, one other thing that's very important right in the middle of what you're saying is that Donald Trump was born on the day of a lunar full moon eclipse oh, with the full, right. with the sun with with the sun lined up with Uranus. Oh, that's right. Forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. Just another piece See, in this. My model about all this stuff that it all looks like it's separate, but it really is all related in the hyperdimensional, metaphysical hint hint George. Totally plan. agree with you. Okay. Totally agree. So I'm looking at our efforts to return to the moon. We've got two spacecraft en route that are doing fine, one that's kind of iffy. The iffy one is going to arrive literally on the evening of the 13th. One day. Arrive where? At the moon with cameras that can photograph my damn ruins up the wazoo (laughs) and back and forth and all that. It's That's called, right. I forgot, you had, I forgot you had real estate on the moon. I, I guess, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and Trump was into real estate. So um, it's called Capstone. Gosh, I wonder where NASA got that name from, okay? Harking back to time capsules, the Great Pyramid, etc. In mm-hmm. other words, more Emily Dickinson stuff. So that mission arrives. On that same day that Trump has been called to testify in front of the House committee on an insurrection against the Constitution and overthrowing the U.S. government, we leave again, hopefully, for the moon with the next Artemis One attempted rocket launch at Cape Canaveral, seven minutes in the pre-dawn hours at the Cape uh, into my show in the uh, Land of Enchantment at 10 o'clock. At 10.07, my time, 12.07 Cape time, 12.07, Seven all Tetris remembers they're going to try to launch Artemis again, which will embark on a 25-day mission to orbit the moon with something like 11 stunning HD color full digital video cameras. And then a month later, 
in mid-December, the South Koreans carrying a a 33-pound NASA camera called ShadowCam, which will be almost a thousand times more sensitive than any digital camera we've ever sent to the moon since the beginning of the space program, is going to actually get to the moon and begin taking stunning pictures of the shadows, which will really show the domes. And this is Mm. Jupiter. This is from Holtz, the planets, the bringer of jollity, Jupiter, the magnifier of the solar system. And what is it magnifying? It's magnifying in two weeks choice of hundreds of millions of Americans for the kind of reality and future and existence they really want. We shall return. other side of midnight.com tune in to listen to richard c hogland and his fascinating guests support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone. That, of course, is the uh, fascinating symphony written in the uh, teens of the 20th century by a brilliant composer named Gustav Holtz, who did an ode, an astrological ode to all of the planets, except, of course, for Pluto. 
doctors and the teams, we didn't know, no one knew, that Pluto, in fact, existed. So it's very appropriate to play this as a background. Uh, Rick, uh, we've got a call uh, on the uh, blog talk line, so let me click the right thingy here, and we'll see Stephen. Stephen has a question, so let me open the mic and click the right thingies here, and we will open the line for Stephen. What is your question? You're on the air. Yes, I was wondering, um, we have recently, when all this happens, we're talking about an election, which is obviously a national event. Could the U.S. Pluto return, which either, depending on whether you look at procession or not, has just happened or will just happen soon, could that, that's about a degree uh, within, within maximum right now. So could the U.S. Pluto return have even more effect on this? Oh, what a Absolutely perfect yes. question. Yeah, and, and for those of you who don't, uh, thanks for such a good question. Um, you know, every year um, when the sun returns to the place where it was when we were born, we celebrate our birthday. That's a solar return. Well, every 29 and a half years, there is a Saturn return. Saturn returns to where it was when we were born, and that's kind of a generational marker. Pluto is a 248-year cycle, and Pluto basically completes that 248-year cycle um, next year. Um, However, because of the precession of the equinox, this year is when it looks like it's exact. So it's, it's, um, Stephen was uh, informed enough about this issue to know that although astrologers are saying that there is a Pluto return in the United States born 1776, um, 248 years um, from you know, 1776 would be uh, 2024, two years from now. Um, and yet, Pluto in the sky is where it appeared to be in the chart of when the United States was born. And although individuals don't live long enough to have a Pluto return, uh, empires and nations do. Pluto is the planet, in effect, of death and rebirth. So we are, now that can be physical or metaphysical, Mm. but there's a a kind of like a meltdown, a deconstruction, and a reconstruction that is certainly going on while all this is going on. Um, And so, yes, it's an excellent point, um, Stephen. And I would just say, whatever your question was, the answer is yes. <laughs> well, here, here, let me add one more thing. Given that these are, are, are windows of, of you know, resonance, Pluto moves really, really, really slowly, you know, once around every 248 years, which means between now and 2024, its movement is minuscule in terms of a circle. So the alignment is kind of like now. Yeah, exactly. That's correct. And in fact, if we're looking at the process chart, which is what we moderners do, um, you know, it is now. Regardless, we're certainly in that window, um, regardless of, you know, what technique or how picky we want to be one way or another. And, um, and we are in this process of, you know, deconstruction, reconstruction. And it'll take a few years for us to be able to look back, you know, at 2020 to 2020. Well, and see what the hell happened. Given that in the physics, the experiments show us you have event, 
then you have a time delay echo. Exactly. So if we're looking at echoes, then the next question, Stephen, I'm sure you'll be with us on this, is, okay, you know, we're coming up on the quarter millennia uh, celebration of the creation of the United States. We were founded to do certain things, to carry out certain ideals, to fulfill certain memes. We're a work in progress. We're certainly light years better than we were back then to doing what we thought we were supposed to be doing now, but we're not there yet. So how does this recurrence, this return, echoing the original founding birth chart of the nation, how is it impacted by this extraordinary injection of this energy right now in the next two weeks for this election? Right. I, I'm I'm thinking. Are you asking Stephen? I'm asking you. Yeah, um, yeah. I know. I think it's all part. I think you used the key word, and the key word in all of this is resonance. You know, astrologers are coming out of a you know um, nearly you know two millennium uh, two millennia long period where planets were seen as objects. You know, planets were particles that were mapped in the chart, and it's only recently that astrologers have begun to shift their view, largely or partly due to my teaching, that a planet, just like on the microcosm, we have a particle wave duality, at the macrocosm, we have the same. You know, uh, you know uh, Pluto is an object that we can see, but it's an artifact of a cycle that's four cycles per millennium. You know, the moon is a wave when we're not looking at it, but when we look at it, just like at the subatomic level, <laughs> when we look at a waveform, it particularizes for the moment the waveform, the quantum function collapses into a particle. And planets are particles. I call them BFF, <laughs> BFPs. They're big button particles. <laughs> but they're still particles. Right. But the fact is that they are also waves. And when we look at waves, then we begin to understand that when Pythagoras and Kepler talked about the music of the spheres, they were not talking about a metaphor. It's, it, it, the, the resonance is resonance that's too low frequency for us to hear. But, of course, this is what feeds into hyperdimensional physics. The resonances are there, and they create fields by their angularity, by their momentum, um, and, you know, and, and, and so, yeah, um, you know, a Pluto return at the same time that all this other stuff is going on. And I could give you a scenario that goes back to the mid 1960s of four or five major astrological events bring us to this moment. Um, and, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's all about how these events resonate with each other and one another and us. So, Stephen, do you want to try for the uh, the gold prize, or do you want to walk away with your winnings right now? I'll go away with my winnings right now. I think Stephen's dropped off. Okay, well, then we can good night, Stephen. Uh, good but, night, Stephen. Thanks for that question, Stephen. It was a good one, important one. Okay, um, so we've got about 20 minutes to the top of the hour. Why don't we tackle something which is related because as i say you know my grandmother has this phrase that you know time was god's invention to keep everything from happening at once if you invert that equation all of these so-called disparate things that are all coming to a point 
at the same time that even though they look like they're not related, ultimately at some level they are related? Absolutely. Uh, I have had as a model that the one thing which can change the current dismal trend curve of history on Earth is if we all suddenly get to realize that we're not alone. We have friends and family and relatives out there. There are ETs. There's aliens. There's all kinds of extraordinary culture and commerce. And we have an incredible history laid out all across the solar system, which is within our purview to physically go out and find, walk into, find the libraries and figure out what the hell we're all doing in this place. And it looks like that's going to begin in a very serious fashion the night before Trump has been invited to testify in Washington in front of the committee. And on that very morning, we're sending the first unmanned test of the manned vehicle named after Apollo's twin sister, Artemis, on a 25-day journey to the moon. And all this technology is going to do one thing. If we somehow keep the system honest, it's going to take stunning new images of what's really there, and that will change everything in this window of energized choice for change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't disagree with anything that you've said. Um, I would, being the um, conservative one when it comes to this issue, um, you know, there have been many opportunities. It reminds me of my daughter's birth which I knew when it was going to happen correctly. I knew when it was going to happen, but I was wrong nine times up until the time it happened. <laughs> no, I, there's something very important here. And that is, I don't, I, I don't doubt your logic and I don't doubt, you know, what, what you've said. And there's, and, and, and I'm a champion of this. It's like, come on already guys, come on. But I was the one who thought this was going to happen back in the late sixties. So, you know, so I'm not a good person here to to validate this because it'll me it'll be me just saying it again. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of things at play. You and I have talked a bit, you know, about. Um, well, you know, but, see, a, a, it, but, 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 but Rick, in, in the 60s and then what was the stunning thing they the bad guys did to make it delayed, to keep it deferred so it didn't happen in the 60s? The one they came thing. out with 2001: A Space Odyssey. No, no, no. That that that, that was part of the that was part of the foreshadowing of what should have happened. Yeah, I know. Well, no. what, um, what are you talking about? No. They killed Kennedy. Oh, right. Kennedy right. wanted to go with Khrushchev to the moon together, and us and the evil empire would have jointly expanded humans' awareness of their past and future, and we'd be living in a totally different universe yeah. tonight. Yeah. If that, if he had been allowed to carry through what he wanted to do, and they knocked him off specifically because of that. Now, it we're having a second opportunity, a second bite of the apple, which brings me to my wild card of the evening, which is King Charles. Yes. Talk about King, because my model is the King Charles, because of the literal, celestial, ancient historical position of the royal family in all the royal families, going back to the Martians, the Anunnaki, whoever, you know, lowered kingship from heaven, that the wild card guy 
who could come out with the truth and frame it correctly as a member of the club is Charles III. What does his chart say? Well, okay. First of all, um, Charles is a Scorpio with um, Mercury um, also in Scorpio. So I think that Charles is um, Charles plays his stuff much closer to to his vest than we realize. He's a Scorpio. He doesn't let out everything. What's most significant, however, is remember that planet Jupiter, the doorway to portals and to openings and to and to and to going uh, you know to faraway places. Mm-hmm. Well, Charles was born. Um, on the day, and Jupiter moves really slowly, but this is an aspect that would have been, it would have held its exactness for maybe about three days, and but he was born with Jupiter opposite, that's that tug of war with Earth in the middle, with Uranus, the electric planet, the sudden planet, the unexpected planet, Jupiter opposite Uranus, which in a natal chart, we would say this is a person who's interested in changing things abruptly to blow people's minds, to do away with old traditions. This is a person who speaks out against the old ways, even though he is certainly part of that old way that his chart has in it that potential. One of the metonymic reasons, which is another way of saying one of the normal rational left brain 3D reasons for thinking that Charles might be the guy, is because of his father, the Prince of Wales. Talk about the Prince of Wales, because I know that uh, in, in ordinary history, there's excellent documentation that Prince of Wales, Prince uh, 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 Philip, he bought every damn UFO book on the market. He was a member okay, of the royal so what family. What would you say if, if I told you that Charles's father, born in 1921, where um, where uh, Charles was born in 1948, that um, that his father was born with Uranus opposed Jupiter, <laughs> the exact same aspect oh that my, Charles had. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh, not... I mean that aspect repeats itself about every 14 years, roughly. Well, given the incredible proclivities of his father and the fact that he revered Charles, revered his father, and we have yes. overwhelming evidence. I can't imagine that when they weren't in public, they didn't talk about aliens, UFOs, ETs, and then they even have known the connection between royalty, blue bloods and all that, and the deeper, more ancestral parts of ancient terrestrial Martian and beyond history. Be that as it may, I do know on the record that when our old friend, my old friend Arthur Clarke, was made a knight by Queen Elizabeth, she sent, and he went, her son, Prince Charles, on a very long airplane flight from England to Sri Lanka to personally give Arthur his knighthood and then spend a lot of very high-quality time. And I even know what they talked about because Arthur then spilled the beans to our friend and colleague, Dr. Chandrawick Rama Singh, who's been on the show many times. And he told us all a few weeks ago that they basically talked about Arthur's background and perspectives on extraterrestrial life. So I put all Mm -hmm. this together, and even without looking at the chart, I say, okay, 
during this window of incredible change where the one thing that can maybe save humanity and save Earth is the proper revelation of who we really are, who would be the change agent? I'm nominating King Charles and Stephen mm-hmm. Bassett, who, of course, is our friend and colleague and immersed in the metonymic 3D Washington world of politics and disclosure. He thinks I'm stark raving mad. <clears throat> but I will persist because I think Charles is a wild card. And if he wants to make a mark in history and come out from the overwhelming shadow of his mother, this would be the incredibly elegant and meaningful way to carry out that mission. Right. Well, you know, um, you you probably know this story, Richard, but Arthur C. Clarke once said, um, I don't believe in astrology, but then again, you wouldn't expect me to. I'm a Sagittarius. (laughs) (laughs) He also said something else, and I'm going to try to remember it. He wrote somewhere, and I haven't had time to go and look it up because I didn't know you were going to send me Arthur's chart, which is number two on the runway in your section. But Arthur once said, for all of history, uh, men of Earth have thought that the stars control the destiny of men. There will come a time Mm -hmm. in history when men will control the destiny of stars. That's what NASA did by hitting Dimorphos and releasing a hyperdimensional burst of hyperdimensional energy into the solar system at exactly the right time. Yeah, yeah. So King Charles's Mars is in Sagittarius, lined up with Arthur Clarke's sun in Sagittarius. Okay. So they, I mean, there's other connections, but I don't want to go, you know, tech. You know, or or <laughs> astrology jargon, but just the fact that when two people have planets in the same place, there is there is a connection. So there was a resonance. And there's a reason why he flew halfway around the damn planet. There's a resonance to physically resonance. give Arthur his knighthood when he could have basically mm, phoned it in, right? Or mailed it. Mailed right. it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, come on. The, the, See, I'm I'm kind of jaded because I got to hang out with Arthur, and I know what an incredibly interesting and good person he was. For Charles to deliberately choose to go halfway around the world to hang out with Arthur and to talk about extraterrestrial civilizations, which he then spilled the beans to his friend Chandra about, that to me is a foreshadowing of what could happen in this window now. It also wouldn't do the current politics in Britain, which are totally ass over tea kettle. Uh, Total mess. Yeah. It would, it would be an incredible shot in the arm for the Commonwealth, for British politics, for rationality, for change, for embracing the future. I mean, they're basically in a stalled dead spiral uh, because they don't know what the hell they're doing politically. Yeah, yeah as if the United States does. I wasn't using a comparison, all right? <laughs> yeah, no. But then again, see, here's the thing. The synchronicity or the resonance is, you know, neither does Russia, neither does Venezuela, neither does Brazil. I mean, this is all over the planet, you know. Um, you know, politics is in a state of turmoil. I look, look at Iran, you know. 
Um, I mean, there is a turmoil in this old versus new, long-term versus short-term, fear versus, you know, adaptability, whatever spectrum we want to put it on. And England or the UK is certainly not immune from that. But given the heritage that I'm positing between royal families, basically bloodlines, basically DNA, basically relatedness to our friends and family upstairs, what would be more appropriate than to have a messenger on earth who can speak with authority in these two realities which have been kept separate by deliberate design for far too long? Mm-hmm. So in the chart, is there anything that would be a prognosticator as to when Charles may choose to make this role public? Well, you know, as an astrologer, what we often do is we look for the pattern. You know, we see this pattern of Jupiter and Uranus again and again. And the fact is that Uranus in the sky will be coming to oppose um, Charles's son um, over the next, um, you know, uh, let's just see when that actually happens. It's um, you know, in 2000, in, in 23, you know, starting in the summer of 23, which is, you know, obviously a Just year down the, the road. Yeah. Uranus uh, opposes, you know, his son from 23 on and off through, uh, well, through, that fits into, um, yeah, through spring of 24. That fits into my window. You know, all this stuff happening at once. I think it's all right, during that same time. In the spring of 24, Jupiter in the sky, um, which is now in Aries, backing up into Pisces, whizzes back through Aries and catches up with Uranus so that there is a Jupiter-Uranus alignment or conjunction on April 24th of 2024. That is an exact opposition to Charles's son. So there's our date. I mean, if I... You know, I wouldn't stake my astrological career on it, but boy, this guy's got something big going on uh, um, the end of April this 2024. Is, this is getting freaky. I'm getting chills. You know why? You just said April 24th, 2020. I did. 2023? 2024. 2024. April 24th, 2024. Okay. My birthday's on the 25th. Yeah, happy birthday, dude. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, this is trends and given that we're dealing kind of like with a heisenberg with a hyperdimensional twist there are uncertainties bounding all of these discussions but you want to look at the trends and to me the trends are that disclosure if by disclosure we mean somebody finally lets it out of the bag officially so everybody gets it that we're not alone we're we're looking at months or at most years as opposed to decades or centuries. I agree. Gosh. And we have four minutes at the top of the hour. Yeah, I think the spring of 24 has a lot of other things going for it as I'm looking at the chart for the first time, really. Well, obviously, Uh, somebody's going to be elected that, you know, November and take office on the 20th of January. So, yeah, 2024 is very important. We have two competing ideas in the running. 
whether those ideas will have an even, you know, uh, uh, play at the field depends upon what happens in two weeks. In other words, it's all, it's like, it's like interplanetary billiard balls. This ball hits that ball, hits that ball, hits that ball, and ultimately it's the geometry, stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the geometry. You know, and it's, it's a many-body problem. Which, unfortunately, your science can't really narrow down much more, right? Mm, no. I mean, you know, the, the only way in which you can do that is by um, mathematical analysis of which body interactions might be the most important, you know, and, and how are they resonating with other ones that might be the most important. I mean, that's really the art of chart interpretation, is figuring that out because you have, you know, innumerable, um, you know, permutations, um, but how do you make sense out of them? And one can, um, but, but you're right. It's the, you know, and the pattern never repeats itself. That's the other thing is if science is based upon the idea of repeatability, the reason why astrology will never be quote unquote, you know, real science is that, Although the particulates repeat their orbits, the patterns are never the same. See, one of the underlying premises of the hyperdimensional model applied to consciousness, and this is kind of like a run-up to when Georgia shows up in the next uh, three or four minutes, is that if you amplify the force, if you open the gate, if you allow more information to be transmitted between dimensions into this 3D reality, it allows more, um, how should I put this? It allays fears and centers more people because more people are, are inclined toward good and larger realms than small, venial, self-serving realms. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. I mean, the Buddhists teach that the only thing that one can change is awareness. So if the if the subliminal hyperdimensional clandestine objective of the um, uh, DART experiment was to expand the physics, to expand consciousness and reduce fear, then what we will see on the eighth, which will surprise an awful lot of pundits, is going to be a lot more people voting, making the choice for a future that we all can live in as opposed to being small and narrow and fearful. And on that note, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. When we return, we're going to have Georgia Lambert join us and lift us to a whole new realm. Don't touch that dial.
the other side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone. The hour of midnight has approached and passed. It is now in the land of enchantment, the other side of midnight, meaning it is Sunday morning, uh, October 24th, uh, grading from Sunday night into Monday morning. And Georgia Lambert, our resident metaphysician, has joined us. Georgia, have you been listening? I have been listening. And your thoughts? Hi, Georgia. Hi, Rick. How are you? Nice to see you, or not see you, but to hear you. <laughs> you too, you too. This has been fascinating. Um, I think I have another slab of bacon to put on this metaphysical choice sandwich. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. um, you know how, I mean, you've been talking about astrological cycles and torsion field cycles. You know, there's another metaphysical cycle that coincides to all of this, Um you know, there's natural um, festivals that have been observed since time out of mind, the equinoxes and the solstices. But there's another metaphysical cycle of receptive meditation that is carried out the world over. The high point of the whole year is the full moon of Taurus, called by the Buddhists the Waisak Festival. This is when the Buddha um, supposedly comes near to the earth and imparts blessing and the new juice for the whole year as far as the manifestation of the divine plan is concerned. Yeah, it's the full moon he was born under. Yeah, the, now the the full moon directly across from that, if, if the new metaphysical juice comes in at Waisak, the full moon of Taurus, where it grounds is the full moon of Scorpio. The full moon of Scorpio, the worldwide for eons, has been the time when choice is made. That, that metaphysical juice that comes in as an abstraction at Waysock gets processed through the summer. It moves through higher mind into lower mind where it becomes thought forms. It moves into humanity's emotions uh, toward the fall. And the anchoring grounding point is the full moon of Scorpio. This year, it extraordinarily lands on election day. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just yeah, a full moon. Really good point. It's a it's a full moon in Scorpio. 
Exactly. No, it's actually a full moon in Taurus. It's Scorpio Sun's full moon. Right, right. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry, guys. And and the uh, amazing, amazing thing about that is that, you know, normally on every year on this particular full moon, there are disciples and aspirants metaphysically, philosophically, religiously, all around the world that meditate on that day and particularly at exact time. So on election day, they're going to be a worldwide meditation movement. When, when is the exact time, Rick? Do you know? Uh, yes, I do. It's uh, 3.02 Pacific time, 6.02 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. So there's going to be meditations all over the planet on that day, particularly at exact time, on election yeah. day. The timing is amazing. Yeah. Well, what's even more amazing is if you go to the work of uh, Maria Wheatley, who's our Stonehenge, you know, um, archaeological expert, she's actually measured energies at the sacred monuments, these ancient hyperdimensional tuned resonators uh, all over Europe, particularly in England. And she says that during eclipses, both solar and lunar, the maximum effects take place again in this rising, echoing wave after. It's like there's yeah. this, this time delay. So it's all timed to when most people in the continental United States are going to be going to the polls, making that lonely decision in the booth, or even deciding whether they're going to go out and go to the polls and make that decision. But it's not a moment in time. It's a window of waves. Exactly. So this is this is a, a fully charged day, no matter how you slice it. You think? <laughs> now let's add to that. You know, my model is that this is like it's a it's a repeat of what happened twenty six thousand give or take years ago. We're on this grand processional cycle. And how many times tonight, Rick, have you and I talked about procession? Remember a few. In the physics, in the experiments, what you do to, to make entry, to decide when you want to open the gate between dimensions, is you introduce in a rotating system forced procession. The very reason we have procession for the Earth, I think, is because of the setup of the system as a hyperdimensional system with the moon creating procession of the planet. We have other examples of procession, but the most recent, of course, was when NASA slammed that spacecraft into Dimorphos, creating forced procession in the system, thereby opening the gate. Mm-hmm. He says that so, like, well, I'll just... <laughs> yeah, know. no, it's true. Good. I'm glad you let agree. Me, let me throw another weird piece in uh, from listening to your discussion in relationship to King Charles and his possible role. Okay. Um, In certain metaphysical traditions, there are certain energies that overshadow each nation, just like a person. A person has a personality and a person has a higher self or soul. Well, the metaphysical thought is that nations do too. And the particular energies that relate to England 
are a second-ray soul, which means the energy of divine love and wisdom, the Buddha energy, the Christ energy, conditions the soul of Britain. But the personality is a first-ray personality, which is purpose, will, and power. And it's sort of like the persona quality is the carrier wave for the intent of the soul. And a first-ray personality starts new cycles, brings old cycles to a close. It has a destructive aspect of all things old and crystallized. Oh, we're back to change. So the setup energy-wise is kind of perfect. Wow. So in terms of societal response, is there any way, Rick, we can chart like the reaction of humanity to this on any particular date or configuration? In other words, are some days more opportune to get people to go, oh, wow, as to, as to freak out? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I can't quote you any experimental data, um, although I would mention that with the advent of um, mass delivery of personalized information on the Internet, this would be something that with a few bucks certainly could be tested. And I'm sure that there's some marketing agent or agency or large company that would love to be able to use this data, so I may not help them. But the bottom line is that I think that, that what you're saying is valid, um, but I don't think anyone has the has actually tested it and, and come up with the which days would be, you know, more activating than other days. I certainly think that this eclipse day is highly activating. The problem, Richard, is that when we get back to what we when we talk about what what we were talking about earlier about retrogrades, if if an energy is so activating, we don't act; we shut down. You mean you know, if, I don't know if, what that point is, you if, know? But this is a hugely activating day on election day, you know. But will it be too much? Well, where, I, well, I, where, I, where, I is, where is our empirical evidence that it's too much? It shuts down. Remember, one of the mantras I keep quoting: the physics, you know, the good are getting better and the bad are getting worse. Turn up the gain. Uh, it, really, it, it, it's an individual response. It isn't a cultural response. Which will you yeah, act, which will you know. activate more? I would think that what you do is you shut down the fear mongers and you amplify the people who are expecting optimistically good stuff as opposed to bad stuff. Georgia, am I nuts here? No, I mean, there's another factor in play here, and that's lines of least resistance within humanity. I mean, you can have all kinds of setups and possibilities, but what doorways is humanity going to open? You know, for instance, think about all of the books and movies and things that have been written about the future, everything from Mad Max, Armageddon scenarios to a golden age and everything in between. All of those scenarios exist on the mental plane as thought forms. Which ones are we going to allow to land? We're going to uh, allow to land those that we give attention to, that we create lines of least resistance for. So, you know, you can have the most perfect setup astrologically, but 
the component is humanity's got to create the landing pad to let it in. And what humanity's going to do, that's kind of the wild card here. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly on it, um, Georgia. But, of course, the problem is that giving um, having thought forms of something whether it's positive or negative increases that course of least resistance. And if we're fearful, you know, and unfortunately you look at the number of fearful, horrific, negative futures compared to the positive ones, you know, and you see that there's something about fear that people use it to stimulate their emotions that are shut down, yeah. you know, and, you know, and then and then you also look at the amount of intensity of money and resources that are all of a sudden come into play when those who are very rich and very wealthy feel like they're losing it. Um, I mean, just the amount of money that's being pumped into the election in these last couple of weeks, um, you know, is coming in at the rate of 10 times greater than anything that the Democrats have raised because it's coming from those who are wealthy and powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And and money is – the system behind it is a kind of energy that can control things, not, yeah. just, not just physically but metaphysically as metaphysically. well. I agree. Well, see, that's why I'm asking, I guess, around this election, if this hyperdimensional experiment that NASA carried out really is designed to open the consciousness to allow people to transcend their fears. Will the money be suborned to something deeper and more fundamental, which is who most of us in this incarnation really are? In other words, it goes back to the founders. Are you betting on the people are mostly good or mostly bad? Well, metaphysically, yeah. you know, metaphysically, part of the work uh, as we move into this next age is to lift the world financial system from basically the sacral chakra, which is separative and individualistic and materialistic, to the heart center, which is compassion. The only time we see that today is when there's some natural disaster and you see an outpouring of compassion for sending money to the Red Cross, getting food, getting help. Uh, that's maneuvering the system from that heart-centered, compassionate level rather than the materialistic, separative level. And there's a lot more work that needs to be done in that area, obviously. If this is all kind of foreshadowing of 2024... And it really is a fear versus anticipation model, or as I say, long-term versus short-term. What does this portend in terms of choice for what could happen in 2024? Because I don't think it's going to be the two players that we think are going to be on stage, Biden and Trump. I think anybody who is projecting that that's going to be our scenario in 2024 is not watching the tea leaves very closely. Yeah, I would agree with that. So then you have to, among the list of visible players, you have to kind of say, well, if they're not the players, who moves on stage to represent the archetypes? Because they're basically archetypes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Any any candidates? Any nominations? Oh gosh. You know, I'm I'm of the opinion that we may see some stuff in 2024, but 2025 is the hinge point for me. Yeah, but what uh, happens in 2025 depends on at a, at a metonymic level who's elected in 2024. That's true. It's for this country. But this country is like the 800-pound gorilla. We're steering the world. Well, that's true. Maybe. But but we don't know what's going to happen. A lot could happen in two years. Well, again, that goes back to the power attached to revealing who we really are, which brings us back to Britain, the royal family, and King Charles, right? Well, yeah. Well, there's an there's an opportunity there in terms of the energies of the the national plan. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, England is a little tiny spot. It's like if you look at it on a satellite map, you can almost miss it. And and you know, there are a lot of metonymic reasons why it became you know the most powerful nation in the world for centuries. But right now, it's not in that position at all. There are those in England that would like to see it regain its, in their view, rightful realm. How does one do that? Well, this is one way that I think would open up such possibilities that it would almost be, there wouldn't even be a a contest. It would be almost by acclamation because the subject and the reality is so much bigger and contains all of humanity in that revelation that it would fall to that who goes first to interpret the meaning of what's revealed. Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, energy wise, I think Britain is a perfect candidate for that. So we'll see if they take the opportunity. And again, according to the chart, Rick, when is the window for this? Wait, when is the window for, for Charles to basically take the lead in oh, disclosure? Oh, well, I, 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 I think there may be other windows, but when I looked at it, I saw the end of April, the day before your birthday in 2024. Wow. See, everything hitting the fan at once. And of course, April 23 is. St. George's Day, which is the patron saint of England. Oh, my gosh. So now why is St. George important in English uh, history? Well, metaphysically, the reason he's important is he slayed the dragon. The dragon is a symbol for kundalini and the creative energies of penning that dragon to earth and mastering it. Hmm. There are other levels to that that uh, symbology I would think yes you know of course I mean to me what's so ironic is that you know NASA sends a spacecraft to do what it's done and they name the camera on the spacecraft that's going to show us amazing things Draco which brings up of course dragons which brings up serpents which brings up reptiles which brings up good guys and bad guys among ETs You, you you with me so far Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then they named the two cameras that will record the after effects, Luke and Leah, right out of Star Wars, which says (laughs) nakedly, oh, yeah, there was a big galactic war, 
and we're trying to figure out the, the you know what happened afterwards and yet none of this is overt it's all in symbol and a la brookings in establishing a modern mythology that people now can glom onto mm-hmm. i mean have yeah, you and the the symbology of saint george and the dragon again if you if you take the idea that the dragon symbolizes the kundalini energy which is in average humanity associated with procreativity and um the you know a continuation of our species in all of the icons of saint george and the dragon uh, saint george is spearing the dragon through the mouth through the throat which is the higher creative center mm. of uh, art and and culture and you know well isn't that mercurian communications yeah that too so the idea of saint george mastering the dragon by not only grounding it and pinning it to the earth, but through the throat is highly symbolic. By the way, you know the Europeans have finally got their act together and they put the money together and they've got a spacecraft being built, which will arrive at the Didymo system in 2026. And they're calling it Hera, who, of course, was the wife of uh, um, Zeus, uh, Jupiter, and the mother of humankind. And her Roman name, of course, was Juno. And the symbol of Juno was the peacock. Oh, really? And, and it's uh, very alchemical. The idea of the eye on the peacock's feather is uh, rather important. So, hmm. All right. I'll tell you what. Um, we're going to probably lose Rick here shortly because he has been really working overtime since he came back from his lolling around vacation back east. Uh, chortle, chortle. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to join the conversation, if you want to ask Rick a question or two before he has to uh, disappear like a pumpkin at midnight, because uh, it's coming up on midnight on the other side of the world there, uh, you can call in 917 917- Eight eight nine eight eight zero two. We'll open the lines, and you can talk to me. Or you can talk to Georgia, and for the next few minutes, you can talk to Rick. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight zero two, and we can run a little contest here. Will your question or comment exceed Stevens, who really hit the nail on the head in terms of the big political picture that we're trying to blim out tonight? Yeah. So, Georgia, do you have anything you want to ask Rick, since that you dabble in astrology, but you're not obviously the wizard that he is? Oh, no. Well, she's, a, she's a wizard. She's a wizard. She just doesn't need the astrology. You know, it's just one other system. Oh, what an elegant rejoinder. Wow. Very, very, very cool, Rick. Very cool. Very, very sweet. You know, um, one thing I was listening to the earlier conversation, and I have to side with Rick in that you can have things that look very geometric and purposeful, but not necessarily engineered by human consciousness. Um, uh, I wasn't going to bring that back up, but I wanted to ask you that. What you thought I, about. I agree with you. Uh, the, you know. <laughs> yeah, but anything, come on, guys. Anything. If you if you follow that to its logical length, 
logical endpoint, nothing means anything. No, I'm not saying it isn't intelligent direction. I'm saying it's not necessarily human intelligent direction. Yeah. Well, I all would right. agree with that. I'm, I mean, human beings did not design the geometry of a pineapple, for instance, or, you know, the way sound effects matter in cymatics. So there's a natural rhythm and geometry and logic to just the yeah, way if, things if you, work in the universe. If you make a machine, you decide when you're going to turn it on. Unless you want to say that there's such a thing as free will and we're all kind of robots proceeding according to a program. And I'm not saying that, just to be clear, I'm not saying that at all. Nor am I. I'm saying that given the fingerprints I see, this was a deliberate, careful experiment by consciousness. Now, we can debate where the consciousness resides. It certainly doesn't reside among those idiots that were jumping up and down. Oh, we did it, we did it. I mean, ah, as I said the other night, it was cringeworthy given that this was a time capsule. And I think there's a double meaning about someone deciding to use other people to use a time capsule to create this energetic um, intrusion, almost like the Big Bang on a smaller star reality that's having this ripple consciousness effect among all the humans in the system, mostly us, right before a crucial choice decision date when what people decide literally will decide the fate of Earth. I don't see that as accidental. Well, I don't see it as accidental either. But neither, I think, do, neither do I. But what consciousness is behind it on what level is the question? And I'm, I'm you know, what I'm saying is in this particular instance, it's very logical that it's totally conscious and directed, but it doesn't have to be. There are things that, that happen within the universe that are elegant and and just beautifully geometric and yeah, meaningful. You're saying, guys, that we can't know anything, really. No, I'm not saying that at all. Then you won't make a decision as to whether we did it Somebody did it, or it just kind of was part of the fabric of the universe, the resonances. Uh, no, I'm saying I don't know which, which of those two things it is. But shouldn't we try to find out? Absolutely. Okay, so what would be your criteria for making a decision? And my grandmother well, had a very uncomplimentary term for that kind of a choice, which I will not use on the air tonight. <laughs> well, you would have to be in on the minds of those that engineered it if they did. Well, then and you have to ask yourself, that's what, not... what is the objective? In other words, if this was done to inject, intrude into 3D reality, a hyperdimensional reality, what would be the effect of that intrusion? And if it's bad guys, would they want to do that? I don't think so. I think, you know, we were, the whole idea of being cut off, being in prison, remember the prison model I've talked about? Is to yeah, cut sure. us off from, as some would say, source, not to amplify connection to source. So the very idea of setting up a physical experiment where you amplify that connection, I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Well, I would agree with you. And I'm not saying that this, you know, wasn't logically engineered. I'm saying that in a bigger, broader sense, maybe this one was 
definitely consciously engineered. But I'm saying just because it looks that logical doesn't mean in other scenarios that there is that same consciousness behind it. Because the universe does things beautifully and elegantly and... Because the universe is intelligent. Absolutely. Well, that's another way of putting it. Okay, we're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning, Rick Levine and Georgia Lambert, and we're having a very wide-ranging, open discussion. You can't get more wide-ranging than a multidimensional discussion than tonight. If you want to join the discussion, 917-889-8802. 917-889-8802. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. In your mind you have capacities, you know. To telepath messages through the vast unknown. Please close your eyes and concentrate with every thought you think upon the recitation we're about to say. Calling occupants of interplanetary craft. Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft. Calling occupants of interplanetary. And welcome back, everyone. Last half hour to go on this Sunday night, Monday morning edition of The Other Side of Midnight. You know, Karen Carpenter should be around now because everything she sang in this song is potentially possibly luminarily on the edge perchance of coming true and we'd like to make a contact with you we are your friends and so back to my two guests of the morning Georgia Lambert and Rick Levine. 
So, Rick, I know you're going to have to leave us shortly. So have you got any wonderful, pithy final comments to leave everybody with this morning? I've already left. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you're in the beam me up, Scotty. Okay, okay. Uh I'm in in the ethers. I'm in the metaphysical realms. No, I think I said everything I need to for now. I'll be back. I'll have more to say some other time. It was a great discussion. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for uh, accepting the invitation. We must do this again. Not not tomorrow night. <laughs> no. Tomorrow <laughs> night we're not on the air. No. Yeah, shoo. Good. Okay. All right, guys. Later. Good night. Hey, Georgia. What? It's just you and me. All by ourselves. What kind of trouble can we get what, into what, now? What, well, we could talk about Rick now that he's not here, you know. <laughs> but you know, don't to, you think it's don't you think it's funny that your your my birthday is the day before the twenty fourth and yours is the day after? Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah, oh, that's kind I... of that's kind of freaky. <laughs> Gosh, see, I try to as as this objective science type guy. I try to keep myself out of it as much as possible. But when he said that, it's like, well, why am I doing all this? Why am I pursuing all these threads? Why have I been doing this for decades and, you know, like, like really decades? And it's like at some level, there's this resonance intertwining that, you know, the experimenter and the experiment ultimately can't be totally separated. So that's right. I just kind of look at those as Cynthia's um, 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 friend used to say, quinky dinks, and, and go, hmm. The metaphysical word for that is tracking, where you sort of find the beam and then you merge with it and you're carried along. So what is it that we, Rick and I, earlier in the, in the morning didn't get a chance to kind of go through that, that's missing that we should use the remaining few minutes tonight to kind of give people a reason for getting out and voting because for God's sake, if they don't, they will kick themselves in the morning because it means something. It does. And and as you were saying earlier, uh, I mean, this is an extraordinarily important time. Um, the way that everything is lining up for Election Day energy-wise, I mean, this is the capital T-H-E day of choice. And I would highly suggest that everyone... Um, through their own religion, their own prayer, their own meditation, whatever it is that they do to center themselves in the highest and best place possible to get there and make their choice from there for the good of all of us. See, part of, and I want to go back to that other discussion we were having as to was this done or was it just accidental? There's several levels to this experiment. There was the very base metonymic level, you know, which is good. It's, it's a bad hair day if an asteroid falls on you and wipes out your civilization, right? Yeah, the dinosaurs didn't, didn't they have They did not have a time. space program, exactly. So, or, you know, so, I mean, the, that's the conventional cliche. So at that level, most of the people in NASA who participated in this um, – felt they did a good thing, and at that level, they did do a good thing, okay? Um, The idea of destroying a a time capsule notwithstanding. At the next level, given that it 
obviously by the numbers and by the images released an extraordinary amount of unknown where it came from energy. And the NASA press releases are scrambling to try to explain the inexplicable within a Newtonian framework. And it's obvious that they're written by press people and not by scientists because their their so-called explanation of why the you know the movement of dimorphos changed by 33 minutes within that two minute you know plus or minus it just makes no sense zero sense all right but mm-hmm. no one but no one's followed the argument close enough except us to realize that the emperor has no clothes that basically what they're saying is damn if i know why this all happened and they're trying to cover their very extended and exposed posteriors right Absolutely. But then you get to the next level, which is, is there someone at the human terrestrial level that understood what would happen in the physics, in the physics of the whole solar system, if the the minions could be made to, for very short-term metonymic reasons, carry out this, this objective and be successful? And it would have effects far more in the metaphysical hyperdimensional realm than is dreamed of in their Shakespearean philosophies. With me so far? Absolutely, yes. And then you can take it to an even higher level, which is if we in fact have mentors who've been standing off planet, watching what's happening here on Earth, you know, operating under the Roddenberry Prime Directive Thou shalt not directly interfere because that's against the law, against the rules. The galactic cops will pick you up, whatever the excuse is. But they architected this very interesting multidimensional look, ma, no hands, no fingerprints uh, experiment that would ultimately wind up with a big good place, even if the people carrying it out are clueless as to what the real objective was, which is to give consciousness a shot in the arm at exactly the right time in the timeline so people ultimately at this preeminent pivotal catechismically important decision come out in enough numbers to overwhelm all the bad guys messing with the system that opens up i think levels of potential control but it didn't just happen by accident and that's certainly a possibility um, absolutely, that's a possibility. And I would hope that there are some wiser, greater minds that are nudging all of this stuff. Either It's not, in... it's not the only possibility, but I, it's, it's, I think, a, a, a very probable possibility. Well, we get to the level of, <clears throat> this is going to make no sense to anybody for a while, Robin and the mice. Because suppose people are being influenced to, to their better angels by entities, consciousness, which frankly isn't even in this dimension, outer space or otherwise. Well, I think that's very true. I mean, But how do we prove like, it? Thinking well, what could be true is not like knowing it's true. I well, want to how, know. how do we prove that means yeah. how, do, how do we prove that there are other dimensions and life within those dimensions and we're not quite there yet 
to, to have that kind of scientific proof. You know, it's really interesting. You were talking about the 60s and Kennedy uh, and his assassination. Oh, a putting huge a, putting, break point in history. In North, putting imagine imagine yes, if he had not been murdered, where we would be tonight. I know. That... that really put a glitch in the timeline and oh. the, the whole sense is that we're getting back to where we should have been before that happened but did you know that that uh, that way before months before the cuban missile crisis uh kennedy had designated that week as national prayer week no i didn't know that yeah so you know did he know consciously that the Cuban Missile Crisis was coming? No, but some part of him on a higher level must have. And how do we prove that? I don't know how we prove that. Well, there are certain things where, what's that cliche, something about the consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. You know, if you can't live with ambiguity, you don't belong in this game. <laughs> <laughs> But I would like to narrow down the realm of possibility. And given the coincidence of the numbers, I know somebody did this. I'm not just certain. Highly likely. Yes, I'm just, I would agree well, with that. See, I'm much more on the, they did it, period. The only question is who and at yeah. what level. I exactly. mean, if, if, we're, if we're dealing with humanity as a whole, we know there are, through long-term traditions, secret societies, occult movements, spiritual groups, clandestine, um, uh, you know, conferences, mm -hmm. um, all of those people who have knowledge that they hug to themselves because knowledge is power and they don't want to spread it around either because they don't want to lose their power or more likely the more it becomes known, the more it becomes trivialized or attacked and it might even disappear. So there's a period of human history where keeping your own counsel is a wise move indeed. Be that as it may, if we're dealing with agencies that are beyond human um, interaction, beyond human uh, control, that opens up again, is it extraterrestrial? Members of the family upstairs who really want are kind of rooting for us to make the right decisions and come out on the right side of history so we get to rejoin the family? Or is it benevolent aliens who are kind of, you know, well, they really should have a chance and this is their way to have a chance, but they're not going to have a chance unless we do something in a very subtle way that we don't intervene overtly, we intervene covertly? Or are we talking strictly hyperdimensional consciousness, which says, for God's sake, guys, get your act together. Here, we're going to give you a real boost. I, and, those are the choices, and, I think. And, well, to add another choice, the metaphysical tradition of a spiritual hierarchy on this planet of those that have attained for mastery that um, don't interfere with humanity's free will but do guide and overshadow from time to time. And you know, whether it's the more advanced versions of us or them or, you know, again, how do you prove which is which? Well, I don't have the answer I, to I that. Don't, I don't think you can do it in the, in the sense of it's black and white. It's 100% or it's zero. I think it has right. to be probabilities. And we have a caller from New York who I'm hoping 
has a really interesting question that will outdo even Stevens. Uh, Area 212, you're on the air. Hello, I'm so sorry. I'm just listening. Thank you. Hi there. What, what, who do you want to talk to and what do you want to ask? Um, um, yes, uh, I'm just um, curious about uh, what you see as the um, uh, main the main message that uh, if we were to be guided by some benevolent um, forces, what would you, would you think the main message they would give us at this time? Oh, what a cool question. George, you want to take it first? Sure. Um, I think that the biggest question and and, uh, biggest thing that humanity has to learn quickly if we're going to survive is that we are one family, Um, that we all want the same things for ourselves and our children, and that there has to be some way for us to begin to work together and acknowledge the family here before we meet the bigger family out there. I would phrase it a little different. I would say that given that we have no other to compare ourselves to, it's kind of like we're going into a psychosis over millennia because we only have ourselves to talk to, and you know what happens when you wind up talking to yourself. If we had something or someone else to compare this part of the family to the larger family, which goes back to Neil Armstrong's very famous quote, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. My interpretation is the man in that phrase was us here on earth. Mankind was everybody else as part of the larger family out there rooting for us, but because of what the laws are or the galactic council or the metaphysics or whatever they can't interfere a la the prime directive so they have to be subtle and more dickinsonian about how they nudge us in the right direction does that answer your question yes thank you so much that's wonderful well thank you for calling anything else I don't think so. I think she left. Okay. Um, we got a few minutes left. Again, no one's listening. <laughs> remember, remember that Connie Chung you know, interview where she literally leaned over to a, a guest and said, well, no one's listening. So just tell and, – and, and they did. <laughs> on, on, it, it was taped. So, so there was a way that she – you know, it was a very famous interview. I just can't remember who the interview was with. So if we're coming up to this break point, Again, I don't see the bad guys doing this because the effect, just in terms of the physics, to expand consciousness and opportunity, not narrow it down. And the more expansive we are, back to Rick and the alignments and Jupiter and Christ and all that, the the more expansive, the better things are for humans because our problem is we're thinking too damn small. Yeah. I would agree with that. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sure Rick would, would be able to, to expound on this um, much, much better. Hey, he left and by maybe, his own and, choice. He and, made a choice may, so we can talk about it. <laughs> and maybe, maybe in the future he can. But what I'm sensing is that the 
energies and the astrology after 2025 will give humanity great opportunities for expansion. Okay, I mean, that's about like the fourth time tonight you brought this up. What the hell is, why is 2025 a date? Give me, give me a reference. Give me a, a, a context for why that's the time. I have my own separate source, one source that I'll bring out for the discussion, but you, you please go first, okay? Why 2025? Okay. Well, uh, metaphysically speaking, there is this invisible college, as the Rosicrucians would call it, of spiritually advanced human beings that have reached mastery, the mental, emotional, and physical levels. And um, they exist on this planet to help nudge humanity, to teach humanity. From this group come the great teachers and avatars and so on and so forth. Hang on, hang on. on. Let me ask you a dumb question. Are they incarnate in physical bodies here, or are they a hyperdimensional influence? Consciousness both. Kind of... both. Okay. They, they don't need to be in physical incarnation, but there are a few that are uh, to anchor within humanity. Um, and they've shown up in history on the world stage from time to time, uh, both in the East and in the West. Like? Like? The Count St. Germain in the West and uh, both Francis Bacon and Roger Bacon. In the East, uh, you have the teachers of the Yogananda line like Babaji or uh, the Theosophical line. uh, Even though there's a lot of glamour associated with that, they they talk about um, some of these personages. But most are, are not anything or any whom that we would know. Um, The point is that metaphysically speaking, they are said to have a conclave once every hundred years to discuss levels and details of the divine plan to be rolled out for humanity. The next big conclave is 2025, and it's said that the agenda for discussion is the re-externalization of this spiritual hierarchy back into humanity's consciousness in a physical way, as it was during the Atlantean period, but that was broken, and they withdrew to the inner realms at that time. But the re-emergence is... Uh, going to take place within this next age and some of the details for that, which may include for Christians the reappearance of the Christ or the great avatar um, for this next age. The details of that would be up for discussion in 2025. So on higher levels, 2025 is a huge 100-year hinge point. Hmm. And uh, again, astrology is not my forte, but the astrologers that I know have said that the astrology starting in 2026 and 27 and onward um, have a, a, a lot of opportunity for human consciousness to have tremendous expansion. Okay, my totally, totally separate data point, which supports what you're saying comes from an Indian guest from New Delhi, I think, who I had on a couple, three years ago, 
<clears throat> and he was an adept at the uh, uh, you know ritual calendars, the the uh, yuga cycles, and all that. And he said rather categorically, and I you know pursued how did he figure this out? But he said according to their calculations, literally in 2025 we transition from the Kali Yuga to the next age. Mm-hmm. And of course the Kali Yuga is the bottom of the barrel. It's where, right. where there's almost no flickering light of spirituality uh, on earth, really, when you look at other places or other realms or whatever. And that turning point coincides with your date, which is why I keep asking, because if everything is kind of foreplay coming up to that as preparation, then that would make great sense that that's when, at some level, we publicly, openly rejoin the family. Yeah, it absolutely would be perfect, wouldn't it? Wow. Okay. Um, are you a baseball fan? Because I'm going to give a little preview, speaking metaphysically and hyperdimensionally. Next Saturday night, for three hours, on the other side of midnight, with Andrew and Robert and a, a, a wild card unknown who was a 20-plus-year-old baseball fanatic and manager from Canada, we're going to do a hyperdimensional baseball show. One, <laughs> one night into the World Series season. That begins Friday night. This will be Saturday night. And so we're going to be doing a whole new perspective. And I think even Ron's going to join in with some Mayan tidbits. But we're going to do a whole perspective on what baseball as a game, as America's pastime, which has been adopted by other cultures all over the world, including Japan, um, China, uh, Hong Kong, um, uh, Thailand, whatever. I mean, it really has taken off. And what we're going to show is that it didn't really begin with a guy named Abner Doubleday. In fact, baseball terminology even has shown up in the depths of NASA. And all that will become more illuminated one week from last night on Saturday night. But you're well, not. Well, that in- sounds like fun. That sounds like fun. Well, if you want to join the party, because I'm sure you will find a metaphysical, you know comparison or paradigm or um you know template somewhere in there because well the only one the only one i can think of is going back to the inca ball games for for uh deciding things you know yeah that's 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 the mayan that's what oh mayan that's what that's what ron's bringing to the table because we're looking at games as a metaphor for larger things and the outcome of the mayan ball games was not the same as the outcome of American baseball games or series. Absolutely. No, 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 no. 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 So on Sunday night, given that it's one night before Halloween, the 64th anniversary of Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, and one night before uh, the House, uh, I'm sorry, the congressional uh, law goes into effect that uh, releases the first annual report of Congress on UFOs, ETs, UAPs, and all domain anomalies, uh, we're going to be doing a night on the concept of October surprise. And Barbara was in the middle 
of the biggest mainstream October surprise one can imagine. So she's written a book, and she's going to talk about that. And I'm going to try to get Bryce Zabel to join us because his forthright prediction, which is one of my items in Radio with Pictures, is that he thinks that this year, the October surprise is going to be official government validation of the idea that we are not alone. And that could have a remarkable effect on the election just a few days later. Well, remember, Halloween is the old festival of sowing where the veil between worlds grows thin and things can pass between worlds. Well, that opens up the idea of hyperdimensional messaging and and uh, communication and um, God knows even potential appearances. And again, this NASA experiment, this DART experiment, remember, it wasn't just one moment. It has echoing, expanding um uh, echoes being redundant that are still reverberating through the dimensional mirroring between this reality and higher dimensions so this halloween in this solar system is like any none that have ever existed at least for tens of thousands of years or maybe millions uh before and i can't help thank you dear I can't help but wonder if, in fact, that was another reason why whomever architected this experiment at this time with this celestial configuration had this objective also in mind. Another supporting piece. And on that note, we are at the top of the hour. Georgia, thank you so much for making an appearance. Uh, We will do didn't say too many bad things about Rick and his absence. (laughs) (laughs) So until next Saturday and Sunday when we do hyperdimensional baseball and maybe the biggest October surprise of all, have a good week, stay safe, keep your minds open, and keep looking up because that's where the answers ultimately reside. So until next week, remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.